Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnerkline. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Cutting for Sign, episode five. Join me with my friend Andy Hung and uh, Daniel Pinter Klein. I almost forgot your name. (laughs) That's totally, yeah, that's funny. Uh, Andy's a really rad dude. I've known Andy um, for maybe just over a year, but I've known of Andy for a very long time. He is uh, a fixture in the martial arts community here in Portland, which turns out is actually pretty big martial arts town and Andy is um well he's a rad dude I'll I'll let him introduce himself but he's got maybe the most classic martial arts story I've ever heard in our life I think (laughs) this is like where all he's mythic in the sense that like this is it man this is the story that we all want to hear so Andy why don't you introduce yourself tell us Anything about, you know, where you're from, I'd love to hear all of it. And we'll be picking on you and asking you questions as, as we go along. Cool. Yeah. First of all, I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity to share my story with the community. And, you know, I appreciate the the, the time that you guys give me. But uh, my name is Andy Hung. I'm from Pearl City, uh, Oahu, Hawaii. It's a small town. Uh, it's most famous for Pearl Harbor. My dad used to work at Pearl Harbor. And like that's like the city right above it. But it's a small mountainous town. Um, I grew up there, born and raised. Um I went to school in the Bay Area doing judo my whole life, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And then uh, eventually I came to Portland, Oregon, which is how I met Ron, and I started Dojo Outfitters, which is a brick-and-mortar judo and jiu-jitsu store, on top of starting Portland Judo, which is a judo dojo. And then within the judo dojo, there's PDX BJJ, which I'm the head professor of that program. So uh, I wear a lot of hats, but um, I like – And you guys also have a podcast. And we have a podcast, like a YouTube show. We have a Perfect the Craft uh, video series, technical instructional series on YouTube. That's you can so find good. my stuff on Judo Fanatics, DVD, digital content, stuff like that. So there's a lot of content that we generate and we put out. And um, you could find all of it on YouTube and whatnot. But essentially, um, man, I'm just a guy, a martial artist that, like, followed my dream. And I'm just super blessed to be in the position. A lot of people sacrifice their life and time and energy and money to be who I'm at and I'm, I'm just continuing to like work for them and I can't squander opportunities. So I'm just, man, I can tell people like, I'm trying to be people's favorite hustle. Like I'm trying to work, I'm trying to motivate people. I'm trying to spread aloha and um, here we are. <laughs> so you grew up in a really small town. How did you get into judo? I got into judo. The cool thing about Hawaii is that everybody kind of knows like what judo is. Like, when I was working at the Cheesecake Factory in Oregon, I told people, oh, I do judo and jiu-jitsu. And they just thought, like, MMA, like, wrestling. Like, what do you do? But in Hawaii, everybody knows what judo is. Everybody has, like, oh, my uncle does judo or my sons do judo. Like, it's just kind of, like, commonplace. Okay. And um, I'm super fortunate that my city – what was that? Is it, is it, like, football in Texas? It's, like, football in Texas. It's, like, everybody, everybody knows. Everybody goes to the tournaments. There's local tournaments. There's dojos, like, all over the island. Like, it's ingrained in the culture. Um, and I'm fortunate to be from, from Pearl city and that city has like a pretty strong judo lineage. So not only is judo 
in the high schools in Hawaii. So the same way that you could join the high school volleyball team or the high school baseball team, yeah. you could join a high school judo team. And every, every high school has judo. It's in the educational system. Uh, my high school, Pearl City High School, had elite lineage already just from being uh, a judo powerhouse. And then my judo club that was like the mountain pass over uh, produced like multiple Olympians. So I just kind of grew up in this like judo hotbed uh, of a judo island. So like I kind of was fortunate to be just by location. Uh, yeah. I moved I moved to Pearl City when I was three. And uh, man, we just, I kind of just took to it. Anyway, getting back to the, how I found judo. Uh, me and my brother did judo for a year when I was like six or five. I was way too young to count it. But essentially, I'm 13 years old. I'm in eighth grade, I think it is. And I'm sitting down uh, in my study, whatever, doing homework. And my brother comes in, who I think was like a sophomore in, in high school. And he was like, you got to join this judo thing with me. Like, we should do this together. It's super fun. The head sensei is this crazy guy. Head sensei was Roy Kawaji, by the way, who eventually we all three of us, my brother Roy and myself opened up Portland Judo years later. But this is back when I was 13. And he was like, yeah, the coach and sensei is a crazy madman. And man, you just got to come and do judo with me. So I remember the first thing I said was, okay, I'll go and do judo, but like, I don't want to do any tournaments. Like, I don't want to have any pressure. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a competitor. I just want to do judo. And he was like, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So I always tell people like, you know, when you talk to your parents or your grandparents and they're like, oh, we had to walk up a uh, hill both ways in the snow to go to school. Yeah. And it was so, you know, wolves was chasing us and whatever. And I, it, it wasn't that hard, but like where my middle school was, was like two miles, like downhill from the high school. So like as a eighth grader after school, I'd have to walk uphill and then I'll have to go and train with all these high schoolers uh, doing judo. And I was training with, you know, I mean, the age gap between 13 and 16, 17 year old high schoolers is pretty big physically, too. So I'm working out with these guys and these kids, yeah. uh, although they're teenagers, they're a lot more stronger than me, a lot more faster than me. But I was working out with them on top of joining the high school judo. I also joined Leeward Judo Club, which is which is the club I mentioned, produced several Olympians. Um, so I was doing two a days. I was doing judo two times a day ever since I was like 13. By the time, you know, three years and four years of that, by the time I got to high school, um, my technique was advanced and, um, I was fortunate to have competitive success in high school, which, which in hindsight is small. It's just high school regional tournaments, but the success that I had there carried me and gave me confidence to go to the next level. And once high school was done, I enrolled at San Jose state, which also has an elite judo pedigree. It also has produced world champions, Olympic, Olympic medalists. So essentially that formulative time when I was 13 around, it started there. That's where I kind of like got plugged into this judo network and this judo society. And I'm still, you could argue I'm still living it and I'm still benefiting from the network that I've been growing since I was like 13. So that's kind of like the, the gist of like how I kind of got into judo. Yeah. Yeah. Like in one sentence, if people don't know what it is, cause I wasn't quite sure what judo was until mm -hmm. someone who was a judo guy grabbed me and then, uh, and then they hit me with the ground <laughs> and, uh, and it was this, it was like the fastest, scariest, like, like I was being mauled, you know? So like a sentence, 
well, how would you like what is judo like i i i kind of knew what it was because i loved watching olympic wrestling during during the olympics i wrestled in high school i was like yep. it's kind of like wrestling but it's more like who can get the other guy on the ground the fastest but there's way more to it than that so like real briefly like man the ones the one sentence that i always hear is like you're hitting someone with the planet you know you're hitting them with the planet like you're trying to throw somebody um you're trying to you could choke somebody you could armbar somebody there are submissions and there are pins so i always tell people like the basic is like it's like wrestling with a gi on like a uniform on you're trying to take the person down but the asterisk is that there's submissions there's chokes there's arm bars yeah. um so that's like the easiest way obviously it's a very broad statement but it's essentially kind of like wrestling you're looking to take down you're looking to throw the person and the degree in which you throw the person and their back touches the mat is the degree in the point that you get gotcha so if i throw somebody flat on their back that's an e-pone and the match is done so that's kind of like the 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 very condensed uh sentence i would say sure. okay curious just uh riffing off that a little bit is it accurate to say that there's stand-up martial arts and there's ground martial arts and judo covers the gap in between? Yeah, that's kind of a good, that's a good observation. I would say that stand-up would include striking and judo, there's no striking. So that's like, that's like a big thing about judo is that there's no striking. It's a very high moral code that judo hold their practitioners to. So that's why your boy is so handsome and, and doesn't have any, <laughs> uh, broken eye sockets or no CTE because I never get punched. I don't get punched in the face. I've been doing judo for so long and there's no striking. But to go back to your statement, uh, yeah, you could say that it does kind of like work in that start standing and you have to try and transition and, and execute techniques to get the fight to the ground. And then once on the ground, there's pins, chokes, and arm bars. And that's where you can kind of finish the fight to a certain extent. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tease you for a second. Well, tease you. I'm gonna tease both of you. Oh, it's a two for one. Uh, so this guy was my karate teacher for a little bit, and I've I've been kicked regularly, not regularly, a few times in the head, and even with all of the gear on, like all of it, I was still like, I don't think I want this anymore. <laughs> like, like I'm I'm ready. I outweigh this guy probably by at least thirty pounds. And still, I was like, I, I'm done. Like, I don't, this is not for me. Like, I don't need kicks in the heads. Uh, well, when, you're, when, you're, when, when you're that handsome like yourself, too, you don't want to damage the goods, man. That's why I was going for the head. Don't waste your time with body shots with the handsome dude. Go for the face and they'll fold. Yeah, yeah that's, I was done. I was like, I'm out, I'm out. But I'm going to uh, go do judo. I'm going to do jiu-jitsu. I'm out. <laughs> what I was going to say is, is with judo, jiu-jitsu guys, it seems like, your faces are handsome, but your guys' ears look like they're... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, don't yeah. You could, I don't know if you can see it in here. <laughs> this one's good, and then we got the other one going. But, yeah, they get... they get. I got, I had cauliflower ear in high school. Like, I was doing judo at, like, at 16. My ears was, like, shredded already. So, I mean, if you're in the right room and you're with the, with the right people, like, you're, you're going to be getting uh, some battle damage for sure. Dude, I'll find myself somewhere like in public and I'll see some ears like that. And I'm like, I'm either going to be closest to this guy in case something goes down in here. Or furthest away. Or the furthest <laughs> possible place I could, I could be. Uh, so you, you mentioned your, your uh, teacher, Roy, and your sensei, Roy. And um, like, what the hell happened that you guys were, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, a snot-nosed 13-year-old kid you know, kind of pushed into it by your brother, talked into it by your yeah. older brother. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing 
you probably thought your brother was pretty rad or at least wanted to shut him up some maybe both <laughs> you know, both those and then you know years and years later you have dedicated your life and end up starting a business with Roy like what were the magic moments that put all that together yeah with Sensei Roy I mean he was the sensei at he was a sensei at Leeward Judo Club he actually came up from Leeward Judo Club and that's the club that I was also enrolled in so he was already a sensei there and then on top of that he was the sensei at Pearl City High School um, it kind of goes back into what you talked about earlier, but like during some backstory about why we got so close to Sensei Roy during that time of my life, when I was 13, uh, around that time, my family structure started to like deteriorate in the fact that my mom, uh, she had uh paranoid schizophrenic, she was diagnosed schizophrenic and that obviously caused a lot of turmoil in the house. And I didn't, you know, at 13, you don't know what you do. I didn't know what that is at 13. Um, it obviously put a lot of strain on my parents' relationship and they were going through a divorce. So that's what was going through middle school, 13-year-old. And that's why I, I, I didn't find judo because of that, though. I started doing judo because my brother said to do it. But in a way, looking back on it from this perspective, now that I'm 35, man, I definitely found judo at the right time of my life. It plugged me into something that was positive. Um, walk, I had a walk to the dojo. If we didn't have a car, Sensei Roy would come and pick us up. Sensei Roy used to drop my brother off after high school judo class because we lived in the same neighborhood. So I would always run out. I would run out from the house and like carry my brother's bags in to, from the car. And that's Roy's initial thing was like, oh, that's Louis's younger brother. He always comes out to the, to the mm -hmm. car. So that's why I started meeting Roy. So eventually because like our life started getting very, uh, rocky, uh, Roy, I think, kind of sensed that and was like, hey, we're going to help these two boys out. Or if they need a ride to practice, I'm going to pick them up and give them a ride. If they need a ride home. Uh, if they got to go to a tournament, if they like, he was kind of like, and that's very common in judo in that the sensei um, in a strong judo community uh, will extend and help out when needed to. And they see the opportunity to. So uh, long story short, sensei Roy uh, was there for me when things started to get rocky. And this goes even crazier. It gets even crazier. So on top of my mom um, being schizophrenic, my dad also passed away when I was 18. So in that five-year span from like middle school to like 18, like my whole life was like in a jar, like shaken up. And I, I judo was there, was constant. And uh, I think that's what kept me from, it kept my grades good. It kept my attendance good. It kept my attitude good. But looking back on it, like it was a very, like my life was like on a, on a blade, a knife edge. It could have fell either way. Yeah. But the day, this is super trippy. The day before my dad passed away, he passed away from a heart attack at work. He went to a work at Pearl Harbor, had a massive heart attack. Uh, he's usually the first one that was in the office, like 4.30 a.m. And then the second guy in the office found him and he was already uh, deceased by then. But the day before that, I'm driving to the beach with my, uh, my girlfriend and my homie in high school. We're driving and my clutch on my car, the clutch cable snapped. So I couldn't push, I couldn't push the clutch down to change it. And I blocked the, I was blocking in a lane, uh, in the, in the highway. And guess who pulls up behind me and stops traffic? Sensei Roy out of everybody on the Island at that time, he pulls up in the Chevy Astro van, stops the car. I'm like, Oh, Sensei Roy, like, what are you doing? He stopped the car. He helped me push it on the side of the road. And then he gave me a ride to my homie's house. 
That night, me and my dad go back out. We take the truck. We pull the car home. The next day, my dad has the heart attack and passes away. So it's like, wow. literally, like you literally can't make you can't make that type of stuff up. You know, what I mean, looking back on it. Um, so obviously, obviously, you know, I do judo. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very close to Roy, given the circumstances. Uh, I go to San Jose State. Um, you know. My him and my brother before we all before me and my brother went to college, we went to college around the same time, just the way that our life was going. My brother and Roy had this idea like, hey, let's open up a dojo eventually when the timing is right. And my brother was like, okay, we're gonna do it. And then we go to San Jose State, and we were at San Jose State for like 10 years, uh, just doing judo at a high level, trying to get my education, you know what I mean? Trying to get my college degree in 10 years, but luckily I got it. Okay. Took so eight, to- man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> eight. That's not a graduate degree. It's a regular four-year degree. <laughs> took me like ten years. Um, it gets even trippier. So we go there. There's all sorts of stories or whatever that goes in there. But like the day my brother got his diploma in the mail, guess who calls? Sensei Roy, and was like, "Hey, are you still serious about opening up a dojo? Uh, we're gonna do it in Portland." And my brother was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So sight unseen. Uh, we had to settle some affairs. I, uh, Sensei Roy drive to San Jose. We pack a car up. I drive up the five to Portland, Oregon. Never been to Portland like ever in my life. Just graduated college. And I was like, yeah, let's just open up a judo dojo. And that's what Portland judo became. Um, me, my brother and Sensei Roy. So it's kind of like, it's a very, you know, a very condensed story. And there's all story. It's like, um, a series of events that you really can't really make up even just the timing of things like the day he got the diploma we get the phone call the yeah. day before my dad passes away i see roy and he helps me get the car on the side of the road like man you really can't make this type of stuff up it's funny man i, I lived in hawaii twice uh, in my life and you know it seems like uh like you know cutting for sign those synchronicities those meaningful experiences Boy, you like mainline them on the islands. I don't know if you experienced that through your life, but the the you know those happen a lot more on the island for some reason. Do you do you feel that? I think so. I think it's a combination of obviously being on an island and everybody kind of knows everybody, but at the same time, it's like Hawaii has a really unique vibe to it. Like it's still a tribal culture. Everybody still wants to. There's aloha spirit. If you have aloha spirit, like you're gonna cultivate aloha spirit if you're out of sync with the aloha spirit and people will recognize that you're going to get checked somewhere along the way or you know it's going to come back to you so i think i think you're right i think you're kind of tuning into that culture that hawaii has where if you're positive and you and you you put up that energy that you want to help somebody i think people feel that it, it also goes the other way where if you don't have that and you want to take advantage of people i think people have that sense too and that exists obviously other places but being born and raised in Hawaii, like sometimes I'll just be walking my dog and I'll see somebody and I'll be like, oh, that dude's from Hawaii for sure. Yeah, or like, oh, that. Yeah, I appreciate you teasing that out a little bit. You know, uh, it's <laughs> to get a little like, I don't really know why. And then that gets a little woo woo woo, you know? But I, I, I believe that, like what you just said, maybe, you know, because we talk about cutting for sign, right? Well, what about cultivating sign, you know, because we're not, we're not chasing game in the metaphor of what we're talking about here. What we're doing is like we're chasing the the present day signs to follow our own authentic path in this world. You know what I mean? And yeah. To uh to um 
cultivate those to be, put ourselves into environments uh, and understand why those things tend to happen. They maybe tend to happen in smaller communities, like you said. Oh, and that smaller community happens to have atta- uh, retained some of its, uh, like the uh, tribal um, positive aspects of being a tribe. I don't know anything about that, so I'm trying to be careful with my words. But um, anyways, beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, I, a couple of things that were like really striking me. One one was, um, I'm glad you talked about Aloha. Like, I, like, I'm just a white dude from, you know, from the Southwest, you know, <laughs> and, and I've had the unique experience of, of getting to lead groups of people because I went, so I went to school to be a pastor and I, but I never went into vocational ministry, and, but I was a lay pastor of some kind, which doesn't mean I was leading people spiritually along their path. And I've been doing that for, for over 20 years. And and one thing I, that has been a real gift to me during that time is that um, I found like, I, you know, I was, I was really into the rock climbing communities wherever I was for that kind of thing. And That's I've been right. yep. these different kinds of communities. And what I saw is, is like, you can actually have a lot more in common when your values, like Aloha spirit, like when your values are like, that's the thing that you have in common more than like, oh, you're a rock climber, I'm a rock climber. We can get like nerd out on this stuff. But what I think is unique about um, maybe your community within the judo and jiu-jitsu community is like you're you're fostering both of those things, and and you you kind of demand it. Like you know, I, I I can't think of like really some clear examples, but actually I can. Like the the way that you guys kind of ask for people to volunteer for each other, the, the way that you ask to, people to volunteer, like pushing the broom, but it goes way beyond that. Like I, I remember, um, you know, my wife and I like left our spiritual community here in town for some reasons and we joined another one. And then I, I found jujitsu. I've been wanting to try it and I got into it. And, and suddenly like I had friends that even though we were only friends for a few weeks, like it felt like I had known this person a lot longer. And especially at the beginning of this pandemic, like those people who I only knew for a short time were were reaching out to each other and asking each other, like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And, and that's just like, I like, like in the last few years of my life, that little window when I actually got to do jujitsu before Mm -hmm. the pandemic, like I have like deep friendships just from that, like that, yeah and it's and i like i i can kind of nerd out about like the spiritual side or the or the metaphysical side of jujitsu and in martial arts in general but the but man that aloha spirit i'm using your words but like that kind of like the ability to be generous of of service um vulnerable like all of it mixed in there together, like, like it blows my mind. Like how yeah. that is like, that is, yeah. and hearing, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think, I think what, you, what you're saying is like dead on and everything is there. What, what is the glue that comes to my mind is like the physicality of it too. Like you're physically, you physically have to touch or train with or, get sweat on or manipulate another human being yeah that's something that you don't where else do you get that besides a grappling sport rock and this is nothing against rock climbing this is nothing against golf this is nothing against any of that stuff but like we're doing 
we're doing probably one of the most ancient sports that's possible is grappling another human being. And when you put that physicality in there on top of everything that you mentioned already, that kind of adds in another, another level of trust that you have to have yeah. for a person that, that you're going to be going with. If, if I trust this person enough, I'm going to let this person almost break my arm. And I have to trust that person that he's not going to break it. Or I'm going to trust this person to put this choke on. And if I tap out, I trust they're going to let it go. And while that sounds like black and white, of course you let it go. There's still that, uh, that essence of like submitting to somebody else and being safe in that environment when you're actually this close to severely like damaging yourself and grappling with somebody. So I think, I think what we're talking about is like, yeah, the law of spirit and what makes it special and what makes it actually different uh, than a lot of other connections is the physicality of it. And um, I'm so glad yeah, you described think- that so perfectly. Cause I remember, I don't know if it was like, maybe like my first stripe I got, I, I don't remember, but I was like buzzing from just the excitement of going to class all the time. I was like, maybe going to three classes a week and was on a jog with my wife. And, and I was trying to articulate what you just said, which was like the, the magic that happens when you are very vulnerable, like you're completely vulnerable with somebody, you're completely trusting that they're essentially not going to kill you or break your arm, right? <laughs> Correct. Like, <laughs> Correct. And you can get to this like level of your own limit, like your own limit is pushed to this certain level I mean, with rock climbing, that limit, like there's a certain limit and the friction stops and you're dead, like you die. And and you're kind of in that control of it, but there's not that same kind of friction. There's a little bit more control and you have someone there to be with you. And what that does, what I noticed in my experience is it creates a bond. Like I trust this person now implicitly. Like I know that this person is a trustworthy, worthy person. And they're going to be there for me. Like if I can trust them not to kill me (laughs) and not to break my arm and then to show me how to do it also, like, you know, that was one of the things I remember like coming in and like trying to manipulate a guy who's a blue belt or a purple belt and they see me struggling. And as I'm struggling, they're like, okay, now put your hand over here, move your hips this way, you know? And then they're like, great. The choke's on like, and you know, they tap out. Yeah. And it's this subtle mentoring and guiding and friendship and vulnerability. Like it was magical. Like I, like so much. So it was, I mean, it was as powerful to me as any therapy I've gone to any of those things. Like, you know, I'm, I, I probably all white belts are like this, but like, I was just like, I'm an evangelist. Here I go. I'm going to tell everybody I know about this. I'm telling everybody that I do jujitsu, whether they ask me if I do it or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Jujitsu. Here I am. Me. <laughs> me. <laughs> are you also a vegan? Please. Right, tell right. me <laughs> <laughs> do you find yourself, uh, Andy, do you find yourself um, playing that uh, mentor role that, what was your, what was the guy, the teacher who came in right after your dad? What was his name? Oh, again? Roy Kawaji. Roy, do you find yeah. yourself becoming, uh, having some of those qualities that Roy had that brought you yeah. in? That's good. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, I think to give some backstory is like, I've, I've always a competitor for a long time of my life, competitive judo, um, Olympic alternate 2008, Olympic finalist. Like I, I, I was, I, almost made it to that next elite level of Olympian. And I never did, but I was just very competitive. And even in high school, I was competitive. And then when I came to Portland judo and started Portland judo, 
the transition from competitor to a sensei or a professor or like a teacher uh, was very difficult for me to understand, like, what, what do I have to do? And if, to give even further backstory, as a competitor, and if you guys have wrestled before, if you guys, if you guys compete in anything, you know that, like, you almost have to have, like, this kind of, like, selfish attitude where it's, like, what I mean is, like, I got to worry about my diet. I got to worry about what time I go to sleep. I got to make sure I get my hardest rounds. I got to worry about me because I'm trying to get, make this podium. Um, whereas if you're a sensei, it's no longer, like, I got to get my training round in. I have to make sure that me, 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 me. The sensei is the other way where it's like, hey, I have to make sure that my culture is good in my dojo so people feel welcome when they come in. I got to make sure that the parents of these kids feel comfortable when I'm chewing this kid out and he's crying and they have to trust that I'm doing this because I want this child the best for this child. Um, So like that transition in combination of like me being like 25, 26, 27 was very difficult for me to do. But I'm very fortunate that the transition was executed because I realized that I'm, or, I'm already a very competitive person. But instead of being competitive with other people, that part of my life is kind of done. I'm going to be competitive with myself. I'm going to try and be the best sensei I could be. I'm going to try to be the best business owner I could be. I'm going to try to be the best husband I could be, the best father I could be. And obviously, I fail a lot. But I think that mindset of competing with myself, uh, that's a battle that you could do until you're – 90 years old you know, like i'm trying to be the best person i could be i'm not trying to fight anybody else anymore and um some traits that um i probably got from sensei roy i guess off the top of my head is like work ethic you know if i have to think about what i got directly from him is like he had multiple businesses i, I was his, his employee as like a 16 year old kid he trusted me to like work in his cafe and just seeing how a business was built he helped me start dojo outfitters he designed logos for me like just the amount of work that's needed and the de- dedication and discipline that's needed on top of starting the dojo with him too. And just how hard and difficult that was in the beginning. It kind of gave me this nice like blueprint and vision and prompts to realize like, I think I'm ready to do this myself. I could run with dojo outfitters and that's going to be my uh, mouse mouthpiece for my interpretation of what judo and jujitsu is. And, you know, eight years in the game with the shop, like I'm still working you know, you guys know how it is like business, biz, small business owner and being a business owner never stops. That's part of the game. Like if you're not, if you don't want to work and you don't want to talk to people, like don't open a business. Like it's that black and white. It's yeah. that black. It's literally that simple. If you want a business, you got to be a worker. And I'm finding that out with being a dad. I just ha- I have a five month old right now. Like I don't under, like the amount of work a child takes is, in, I don't, is incredible. It's incredible. And I'm, you know, Daniel, I don't know if you have any kids, but I know Ron, like I, I know Luca and man, that kid, awesome job as a parent. First of all, you and your wife, awesome. he's a great kid. And I'm just realizing how much work and effort it takes to get to that point where your kid is uh, um, a kid like Luca, you know, a talented individual, passionate, uh, funny kid, uh, man. I just realized like, I have a lot more respect for dads now, I think, knowing that how much freaking work it takes. But luckily, I told people, hey, I've been a hard worker, man. I can handle this for sure. If it's work, I could do it. <laughs> That's one thing that is like super apparent about you. And I saw that like I knew of your business before I knew who you were because I've lived in the same neighborhood for as, That's long, right. you know, as long as you've been open. And I always like when you I remember your tiny little storefront, like underneath the storage unit. And storage I, unit. Yeah. 
that's bad to the bone. Like looking in and seeing all the geese like just smashed in there. And then your other place that was on the top story of on the, you know, off 16th or something like that. And, and then when you guys opened up this latest one, like I walked into your business, I don't even know if I knew you were, I, I don't know how I knew the worlds were connected, but you were like the ambassador for the dojo and your business. And I was just like, I don't like, I went to other schools to try them out and all that stuff. But what really stuck out to me was your, your hustle, man. And your, and your kindness in, in all that. And your you didn't have any kind of um, ego attached into it. That is that people sometimes in, in, if they're specialist in their world can, I don't even know if they mean to do it, but like they, they, they're in that world so strong that they, like, they can't, they forgot how, what it's like to be a normal human outside yeah. of that world. And, yeah. and it, whatever you're trying to get into with it's climbing, running, archery, whatever, like you go in, you're like, I'm a brand new person. I don't know anything about anything. And to have somebody like not be normal to you can be super off putting probably puts a lot of people off. But one thing I experienced with you is like, you're the welcoming into it. And then you see that on, you know, the, in class, like people come in, they don't know the first thing about anything. And, and I still don't, but your ability to just make it easy and your ability to make it go was so awesome. But on top of that, like Dojo Outfitters is a badass business. It's a rad business. Like your store <laughs> is cool. I like, I'm like, I can't believe you're doing this. Is, is that this- the apparel and all of that? Yeah, the apparel. Yeah, I mean, Dojo Outfitters is a brick and mortar store, and we sell like judo geese at jujitsu geese. That's like our niche. But uh, what I realized was, if we if we have a little time for a tangent, what I realized was like Dojo Outfitters as a brand also became a thing after the store was open. So I opened the store as like a gee store, and we tried to I tried to stock like brands that I liked, and I didn't even have like a Dojo Outfitters shirt, and then we made like a shirt, and like once we started making Dojo Outfitters apparel like I couldn't sell anything else. I couldn't sell other brands. And I was like, <laughs> I was so shocked. I was like, people want a Dojo Outfitter shirt, but I, we have these brand shirts here. This is a geese store. So I'm going to focus on geese. But like, once I realized and I was sitting on product, I couldn't move. I was like, man, Dojo Outfitters could be a brand itself too. My friend so, David, is really into hats and clothes and, you know, aesthetic, the aesthetic. Uh, yeah. Been a mentor uh, in some sense uh, as I've put my own, you know, image together in life. You know what I mean? But just he really appreciated what you put together. Like you have good. What's kind of interesting is something I wanted to say to you, just kind of personally, is the I met my friend David, whom, whom Ronald knows. He's a really good martial artist, and I met him in our martial art. And long story short, we come from a really good school. You know, there's a lot of martial arts schools. I've been in many. And you go in there, and you just get a feeling this isn't really making sense. And this guy doesn't really – he's not very kind and warm and calm. You know, there's like ego, and that doesn't make sense either. So we came from a really solid school. And I find the more acutely aware of that, that I I've gotten through the years, you find less. And I, I've, I don't find too many schools, at least that I go into that are that I know there's tons, but I just haven't had the pleasure to have been in many. My school is great. I've met one or two others, but your school, man, you have an amazing reputation and I trust David like big time in this. And it seems like you've put together an incredible school 
and coming from really, maybe it's the roots you came from, uh, just who you are, but then to add a whole apparel aspect to it and be crushing it on that end too. It's like, good job, man. You're, you're doing yeah, it. fortunate, very fortunate. And first of all, I just want to say like, it's not just me, obviously Mike, my brother and Roy and those in the community is, it's a testament to the people that started the culture, but it's also a testament to the people that uphold the culture too. So yeah, it is partially me, but it is, it's a group effort uh, for the people of the dojo for dojo outfitters. That's my individual business. And that's where I like, I, I like, that's my, like, again, my mouthpiece for apparel and stuff like that. But I appreciate the compliment and I appreciate, um, you know, I hope people, part of the reason why I do pride myself on my work ethic is because I hope to inspire people. And I, I never want people to think that, um, I was handed anything. And that's like a chip on my shoulder personally. Like I, I, I honestly try and work for everything that I get opportunities and everything. I just want to be a testament where people say, man, what more can you do? And you see it in the dojo. I challenge people in the dojo all the time. Is this the best you could do? If the answer is yes, perfect. If the answer is no, well, we got to ring that out a little more and make sure that we know where our limit is. And I think this turning that, turning that mindset on myself, I'm always trying to ring things out to the maximum capacity. And even then I'm still, I'm still a flawed individual there too. So it's always just striving to be, striving to be like the next thing, uh, better and better and better. So I do appreciate the comp, the compliment though. I, I mean, this probably is just going to turn into us just like thinking you're the coolest guy ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's, here's what I think is a, a incredible about your story is, is I think people can kind of get stuck on their path where they're just waiting for a door to open a door to open for someone to introduce them somewhere. They're, they're like waiting for like, I mean, this is maybe a little too simplistic to say, but they're waiting for the handout or they're waiting for the guide or they're waiting for something to like push through for them. And, and you might've had those moments like where, man, like everything just lined up for you in that moment. But, but the real magic ingredient of that is like the hard work. Like you matched it. Like you're like, holy shit. Like I know that this thing is pretty unbelievable that I get to do that. And you've not mentioned much of this. You've kind of hinted around with it, but like, you and your brother are like really accomplished martial artists and, and you don't get to be that unless you are going to work very, 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 very hard. Like that, like my son and I were talking about, we were thinking about, you know, he's 14. So we're thinking about what's the next, you know, four years look like so that you can get into college. He's asking me about Harvard yesterday. And I'm like, they don't let dummies <laughs> in that school. Like they don't <laughs> let, you know, like people who don't work hard are there. And, I, and so I was just basically like playing the seed, like it's hard and you've got to get used to doing hard things. And that is so apparent. Like you've got like your, your open sign on your, uh, on your dojo outfitters is like hustle. Like it's like the lights on says hustle. Yeah, like, the neon is the neon light sign. And I put that up because I think it's a cool sign, but every time I unlock that door, I look at it and see it. And it's a reminder, like, Hey, we're clocking in. Actually, I clocked in before I even got to the shop. I've already hustled already. It's time to yep. hustle even more. You know what I mean? And like, I look up a lot to, this is a different tangent, but like, I look up to a lot of like, um, rappers for a certain, like, like Rick Ross, two chains and like little Wayne, this is a tangent, but like, man, their music is all about hustling, getting up, bettering your life. And, and they expanded They're they're rapping. Yeah. But they're buying restaurants. They're buying land. They're expanding their business. Like, I think a lot of people write it off, uh, because of what, because of maybe they don't understand the culture and they don't understand the message, but like, I use that music and, and that idea and that mindset to really hone me in like, Hey man, it's time to work. And I, I just, 
I'm I'm also the year of the ox in Chinese too. Like ox is a labor animal. Like I'm ready. I'm ready. So it's just like you know I appreciate I appreciate you your guys. Uh, I hope people see that and if they get motivated, if students get motivated by it, or if people message me on social media and say, "Hey man, your workouts this or you know your business that," I hope that they at least take whatever they can from that and then put it in their lives and maybe they work or they feel like they need to work a little harder so they do. You know what I mean? Like I, if I could be that, and I never set out to be that for anybody, but if I could be that type of person, that's also a lot more responsibility to be sure I'm doing it right too. You know what I mean? So. I, okay. I got, that's so good. I got two questions for you. Okay. Um, number one, how, like, how did you know as a young person, like, like when something, when the door was open and you, and you knew you needed to walk through it, like, whether it was your brother introducing you to judo or all the stuff you went through with your parents, like you, there's this like a kind of inner knowing, right? Like this, like, sometimes I've heard a person call it like a velvety feeling inside when you're just like, man, I got to step into this. I got to like walk into that. So number one, like, how would you, how would you describe that to somebody? And then two, and you, we can wrap this up with this is like, just tell us where we can find you, how we can follow you and, plug all that stuff. But first, like, I want, I want you to do that because we, it's easy to get mixed up in the world and like have your brain so sizzled from all of the shit that we've got access to media wise, you know, numbing out wise that we forget that like we're animals and we've got an instinct and we've got an intuition to what, know that like we should be headed this way. So tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think it could be described, like you said earlier, success is, uh, it's not defined by any one person. So that feeling is going to be different for everybody. But in my mind, I think a couple statements or a couple of mindsets come to mind where it's like, at some point you have to take that, uh, opportunity and you just got to make it happen. Like you're going to face this point where are you going to jump and do it or not? If you're, if you're facing over this cliff and you're excited to do it, are you going to do it or not? And if you have that hesitation, then you're not ready to do it. Like you have to have a confidence where it's like, yeah, I'm going to jump off. And not only am I going to jump off, I'm going to actually crush it too. It's developing that confidence, I think, within yourself, whether it be by listening to podcasts or uh, physically pushing yourself or being around the right people in the right room or just getting educated. Like those, those, steps have to be taken before you get to that point where you're facing the door being open. Sometimes the door is not going to open for you. You got to kick it down or you got to build the frame for the door first and then install your own door to open up the own door to yourself. <laughs> so you only get what you put in like the black and white of it is if you really want it, you're going to make the time and make the effort to do it. Yeah. So all my friends that have ever approached out to me, I've ever said, Oh, I want to do this business. I'm thinking about it, but I have to leave my school and my job. I'm the first one to kick them down and say, Hey, do it, push it. Are you doing it or not? Because the, the black and white of it is also this. When you start to do it, you're going to learn on the job. Because no one ever did no one ever did a brick-and-mortar judo store, jiu-jitsu store like I have ever tried to do it. So there's no template for it. There's no master plan for it. There's no type of education you could get to say, this is how you open a big e-store. You have to live the life I've lived to have done it. So then that starts to breed confidence in in. Yeah, I think I think I can do it this way. Or you know what? I made a mistake there. I'm going to make that mistake later. You learn on the job by doing it. That's the best. If you want to swim, swim. If you want to be a big wave surfer, ride big waves. You can't make the claim that you're a big wave surfer if you're sitting on the shore not doing anything. So 
another thing that you could do is you could tell people around you in your inner circle, like, you know what, I am going to open up this store and, or people might, people might help you do it, but your word becomes your bonds. You start telling people like, Hey, you know what? I think I want to try and get my master's degree. And you tell your brother or you tell your son or you tell anybody. If you're in the right circle and you have the right network, or even if you don't, and you start saying these things, you hold yourself accountable to it. And then your, you know, your son will be like, Hey dad, I thought you were going to get that degree. Oh, you know what? I have to get it. I, I told people in my life that I was going to do it. I have to go and do it. Yeah. And I think people uh, sometimes could not have the resources or not have the, uh, the finances or not have the network, but then it becomes, well, how do you get in the right room and find a network? Are you the type of person that's even trying to network with people? Are you even a people person? Does people even like talking to you to begin with? So it's a lot of like self-reflection on what type of person you are. Are you ready to to take on this challenge are you ready to enroll in school and put in the work that it takes to get a master's degree are you mentally ready and if if not what are you doing to get ready mm. you know what i mean so i think i don't know if that i don't know if that answered your question but like the feeling that i get is um developing confidence not in external factors because if you wait for external things to be the 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 catalyst it's going to be challenging. You might wait a long time, but if you have like internal catalysts and you could be a motivated individual and if, and if you're not, how, what can you do to get, to get that mindset? What are you doing? Are you just sitting at home playing video games? I mean, maybe that's cool too. Maybe you're learning how to be a video game designer. I don't know, but our, if you want it, you got to be willing to do the work to get it. And that's the black and white of it. That's the, that's like, honestly, that's the key it is consistency. That's the key is consistently, consistently working towards something too. A drop in a bucket every day will fill the bucket. But I think in this day and age, like you mentioned, um, Amazon Prime, I want to hear it two days. Yeah. I want an instant, I want an instant download. I needed this now. Everything's always now, 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 now. But you know how it is in your life, and you've seen it on the mat. There's no fast forward button in judo and jujitsu. You can't take a pill. You can only watch so much DVDs until it's time to put the gear on and do the work and get better at it. And I think I'm very fortunate that I've found this system and I found people in my life that has motivated me and reminded me of and kept me uh, always demanding more from me that I'm at the point where I'm at now because of so many people um, in this community has pressured me and checked me all my life. And it wasn't comfortable all the time. But it developed a, a severe feeling of confidence in my business, and even then, it's not it's, it's not always right. <laughs> I still make mistakes too. It's cool, man. That's that, thank you for answering it that way. The, the old adage that came out of my mind as I was listening to you is is the harder I work, the luckier I get, and and that is so evident in your circle. Like, you know, you guys have the the Shark Tank. Is that what you call it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where yeah. people, when they're about to level up in their rank, or maybe they just did, um, like voluntarily fight everybody in the dojo that's above a certain rank, right? Am I messing yeah, up? Yeah, we no, that's correct. A shark tank at PDXPDJ is essentially like say you get your blue belt, and at our school we keep it voluntary because I don't want to I don't want to have this this hazing word attached to it where I force you to do it. You have to come to me and say, I want this challenge. I want to be the, I want to put this belt on and I want to fight everybody. So uh, first and foremost, not all schools are like that. Some schools are just, Hey, you got the belt. We're jumping you today, which is also fine too. 
But personally, I say it's optional. They tell me they want to do it. I say, give me a day. Give me a time that works for you. I'm going to set it up. They give me a, a day. I say, okay, there's not going to be any second class. We're shark tanking Ron today. Ron's going to get shark tanked. And all of your friends and all of your most hated enemies will show up that day. And that's the day they're going to try and jump you and do all sorts. You know. But it's all, again, it sounds like it's terrible. But the way that we do it, it is terrible. But the, the, the parentheses is, hey, this is because you deserve this rank. This is because we love you. This is because of the work you've been putting in. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick your ass now. <laughs> when I saw, when I saw uh, Diesel, I don't know how old is he. You know, is he what, late 50s or 60s? Bro, he's like 66 or something. Dude, when I saw, and he's got arthritis. Like, yeah, like, his fingers are all gnarled up too. When I saw that guy volunteer for that, I was like, holy shit, like the the spirit that this is like all part of is like next, next level. This is really rad. Dude. Thank you for your time. Tell us where we can find you, your Instagram handles, YouTube, all that stuff. And you could find me, me personally at Andy. And was on Instagram at Dojo Outfitters. That's like the, the channel that we use to reach out to a lot of our, our fans and our audience. You could also follow us on YouTube at Dojo Outfitters. That's where we have our perfect craft technical video series. We have our YouTube show on our, um, our YouTube channel. Whenever you're in Portland, Oregon, come to PDX, PJJ, Portland Judo, and Dojo Outfitters. And, uh, man, I just wanted to take time really quick to thank you, both of you, again, for this opportunity and deeming me as an individual that could that that could contribute to your guys' uh, uh, programming, your guys' show. So I just want to thank you two both. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Dude. Absolutely, man. Honors all ours, dude. Man, thank you. <laughs> take care. See you, dude. Hey guys, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Uh, this is the field dressing where we are going to recap today's conversation with, um, what's his name? Dojo Outfitters. Andy. Andy, Andy <laughs> Han. Gosh, I'm sorry, Andy. You're listening it's to this, not just a, shaking your head. It's not an easy name to forget, <laughs> man. That's yeah, that was fascinating. Like, the little boy in me that's fascinated with martial arts and the kind of hero's journey, um, like that was ringing all the bells for me because he he did kind of come out of obscurity, the little village, the little mountain village on a little island, being plucked out of obscurity. Hey, his big brother comes along. Hey, it's the guy. Like, let's go do this thing. He's like, no, no, no I'm not going to do it. And he gets into it and it just changes his life, like completely changes his life. So that 20 years later, I think he was, what, 13 at the time? You know, 30, 22 years later, he's 35. It's changed his life. It's changed the course of history. It's changed untold number of people's lives, his students, his brother's students. You know, he was on the Olympic alternate team. He, his brother went to the most prestigious judo school in the world. Like, like that has an impact that's going to continue resonating because he's just kind of like getting warmed up. I mean, yeah. he's going to, he's a young guy and who knows when he's like old and gray and all that stuff, what the, what impact he's going to have in the, in the world. But I can't, it's going to be great. I know like my son's in, in his, one of his classes or was before this whole thing came out. And even in that small amount of time, I could see the impact he was having on my son and I could see the young guys the other young guys and women, young women too, who 
who keep coming back, like they have this hunger to do good, like hunger to do well in class and hunger to be respectful. One thing I was thinking about, I didn't bring this up with you, is I had started in September and then that Christmas, the first Christmas, this would have been a year ago, he had a white elephant party for the whole dojo. And a huge amount of people turned out drew names for the, for the white elephant thing all showed up and we exchanged gifts and it was a like damn heartfelt. Like Mm. there were some tears in some of the gifts because some of the people like saw who they got and they really put a lot of effort in heartfelt stuff, you know, like really like feelings into making an impact on somebody. And it was rad. And I've, I made friends that night with people that I'm still really close with really good friends. I actually got this shirt, my dojo outfitter shirt that night. <laughs> Did you that night? Yeah. As, you, as the gift? That was my white elephant gift yeah. from somebody. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. It's neat to see someone who has taken all of the gifts that he's been given in the world and just unblinkingly, unflinchingly turned it into what you would hope. And then all of the negative as well, I don't know if it's all, you know, sure, talking yeah. for an hour, but he, many of the um, harder, more challenging parts of his life seem to have also equaled fuel or understanding in the direction that he's taken it. You were telling me earlier before we started this, that there's some folks who have essentially no excuse to, <laughs> to some, you know, the, the life is like showing them the way and they just keep fucking it up because of their addictions, their problems, their lack of understanding. To no fault of their own. Like this right. world's a meat grinder. Yeah, yeah that's an understatement. And and yet they have all the privilege, yeah. right? And Andy had, maybe that's it, man. Maybe that's it. It's like him not having the privilege. And then it's like a subtle, maybe subconscious, maybe conscious, maybe both understanding that like oh my gosh this is an opportunity this is an opportunity this is an opportunity in him i didn't hear him complain once not a single time yeah i haven't either that's a really that's that's right there's not i don't know if i've said this in another podcast and so forgive me anyone who's listening and heard this big shit he's talking about it again but i think the two things that we want to that are easy to grab onto that can really screw us up and take us off track are resentment and entitlement. And if we are led by either of those threads in our life, they can really lead us astray. And sometimes entitlement, you need a little bit of it because you're like, I deserve that. I've put the hard work in there. I've like, yeah, I need, I deserve a seat at the table, but sometimes that entitlement can, can make a demand for something that you've not put the work into. And you just think by, by virtue of you being white, or I'm going to use an example to pick on myself, being white, being a man, being straight, like that you deserve the attention, you deserve the power, whatever. And, and there's also the other side of that coin is people who aren't entitled and who recognize like, man, this is an opportunity. This is a gift. I need to go after this and make the best of it. That's so evident in his life. And that's rad to see And Someone as a student of his, it's, it, it taught me a lot. And, and one of those other things is like, you have to grind, like you have to work hard and being in his class and showing up for the more advanced classes. And I'm not using that word advanced because I'm not an advanced student. It's just, once you learn the basics, then you're invited into yeah. like 
the not beginner classes. (laughs) And, uh, and that's when the real suffering begins (laughs) and, and you learn how to grind and learn how to like push through a lot of pain and suffering. And it's, and meanwhile, he's like rolling on the ground with us laughing, just a lot of like joy, a lot of excitement, a lot of like pleasure in that kind of thing. I, I went on a run yesterday and I saw his sign again, hustle in his window and, and his <laughs> store. I was like, that's, yeah, that's the, rad. The amount of responsibility he's taken yeah. on in his life and at such a young age. And he mentioned his now father, <clears throat> you know, and just to be able to bear all of that, running a business, leading people, you know, it's so, I haven't done that. I've done the, the, the version of what he's doing that I've done in this life has only given me just enough of a perspective to appreciate what he's really doing. Like it's how many people are attached to him in the dojo? hundred, 200, you know, yeah. students come Easily, and go, yeah, you don't, you yeah. know, it's just yeah. to have a family and to be doing this with your brother. And I'm sure he has some sort of life in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I really admired him and, and to do it with grace, you know, like we were, yeah. I was looking him up a little bit afterwards and, you know, to write his bio. Right. And you're just like, what? He didn't tell me at all. These like, I know like the, and... he never mentions the stuff that he actually experienced. Like yeah. he, he really downplayed his pedigree, yeah. which I think is another virtue, you know, the humility. And, and I, and I think a lot of his top students, you'll see that like that's, and maybe that's the community he came from, whether it's judo or jujitsu, I don't know. But it's it is there's some decorated folks that he's run around with, yeah. and even in the dojo, and and they're real uh, under you know they underplay their experiences, and it's pretty rad. It's pretty great, rad. yeah. Right. Total honor to talk to him. Super cool. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, tune in next time as we are going to be interviewing a guy named David Abbott, a fellow who um, more or less sailed around the world. Uh, some different legs so it'll be an interesting conversation see you guys